Good morning, everyone. This is Jeff and Kennedy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Hmm. Today is Monday, January 27th. It's Holocaust Remembrance Day, which I, I suppose we wouldn't say Happy Holocaust Remembrance Day. Uh, certainly a solemn occasion to commemorate, especially in the face of people who want to claim that never happened. It is also uh, unrelated <laughs> my anniversary with David. And today marks 29 years since our first date on a Super Bowl Sunday, a very cold Super Bowl Sunday post-game. Always funny for us to look back on that first date. Lots changed since then, and a lot hasn't. I'm kind of pacing around in here this morning. I was thinking about trying the east table to see if it's warm enough. It's um, about 36 degrees out, but um, there's some nice sunshine there. Maybe a little bit of a breeze. What do you think? Should we try it? No, it's going to be too cold. And I do have notes. Somebody was asking me uh, what kind of notes I keep, how much I plan out my podcasts, which of course the answer is minimal, <laughs> very little. Uh, one thing I wanted to mentioned that I meant to say last week that it is important for me to remember now that I am very accustomed to being a full-time writer. It, you know, it's funny how when you start doing a thing, when you implement a new thing, move to a new place, start a new job, and you're enjoying all the wonderful things about it that are the reasons you decide to do it in the first place, you grow accustomed to it over time. Um, David and I are constantly having to remind each other to appreciate the sheer astonishing beauty of the place where we live. When we first moved here, it was almost detrimental. We felt like we had um, rented a vacation home in an amazing location. And we would, um, <clears throat> it was detrimental in that we kind of treated it like we were on vacation. So we um, did not establish good habits in the beginning. <laughs> We ate and drank a lot of things like you would on vacation, you know. But it was definitely that shiny feeling, you know, of being in this really pretty house and this really pretty place. And uh, we were, after being 20 years in Wyoming, it was like such a, a huge switch and so exciting. And, you know, and now we're used to it. Now, you know, this is where we've been living for 10 years and you you grow accustomed to things, even to wonderful things. And one thing about being a full-time author, you know, now that I am no longer having to do two careers, I forget what it was like, first of all, balancing both, that it was not easy and I was stressed. But the other aspect that I'd kind of forgotten about was that you know, like last week when we went to Inn of the Mountain Gods for a few days, my friend who does have a day job, I'd asked her if she would, I just told her we were going to be leaving town and we were throwing some food at the kitties and 
you know, would she be on call just in case we got stuck or something happened? You know, and she was envious. She's like, well, I guess I'll just go to my job. <laughs> you guys go have fun. Um, and I, I do forget that that flexibility is a huge thing. And I don't always take advantage of it because I do tend to be pretty focused on getting the work done. But, yeah, she um, she gave me a timely reminder of the luxury that that gives me. And I think people who um, either have never held a day job or never tried to hold multiple jobs forget what that's like for people who are really... Um, enchained to that five-day work week. And it's funny because I remember David and I used to laugh at our folks because they're being retired. They would forget what day of the week it was, and they'd be like, well, can't you just come on the Wednesday and do this thing? And we'd be like, we have to be at our jobs. And they would forget. But you do forget. So I am, I am counting my blessings on that. I am treasuring that opportunity that I get to do that, even as I am applying for some jobs. I am uh, doing more author coaching, and that has been fun, um, or maybe rewarding is the better word. It's interesting to me, I didn't expect how much I would be using my counseling skills and I mentioned this to another friend of mine, and she said, I didn't know you had counseling skills. And yeah, when I was in college, I was part of the peer counseling center. And we had to have something like 100 hours of training from the campus counseling center. We did like, um, maybe it's just 80. It might have been 80 within periodic renewals, because I think we did 10 eight-hour Saturdays of training where we had to learn how to be a good counselor. And she may have been bemused because I don't always use my counseling skills. Um, one of the things I found frustrating about counseling was the reflective listening and, you know, easing them into discovering things for themselves. Whereas I I'm fairly insightful about people and I can usually identify where the crux of their problem is. And then I have a lot of trouble being patient enough to work them around to seeing it. <laughs> I just want to tell them, <laughs> okay, here's what you have to do. Um, it's why I would not be a good professional counselor, but fortuitously enough with the author coaching, I do get to do that. And I do get to kind of, cut to the chase and say, okay, if you want my expert opinion, which is presumably why you've hired me, then this is what I think you need to do. So, but it's something I have to remind myself of that, um, that writing, like all, all creative efforts, and I do think it's fair to say specifically creative efforts, uh, there's a lot of emotion tied up there. And a lot of vulnerability and a lot of our feelings about ourselves and what's worthwhile for us. I think maybe not worthwhile. Well, what am I trying to say here, Jeffy? Um, 
I guess our worthiness, that's what I'm trying to say, our worthiness. Because in order to write, and I'm going to stick with writing for now, although I think it's true of any creative pursuit, you have to be willing to say, this time is for me, and this is the time that I am going to spend writing, working on this thing that has nothing to do with any of you who want things from me. And it can be a very difficult thing because, and I'm, and I think especially for women, because women are really entrained to, you know, be available to people, you know, to help, to be emotionally available and to give of their time and of themselves. <clears throat> I, I envy men this to some extent because I think men are, um, don't struggle with that same kind of guilt and responsibility. If they want to go do something that's just for themselves, I think it's easier for them. And I think it's entirely programming. I think it's the way we're raised. But, you know, so when you say, <clears throat> and I know that's painting with a broad brush. So guys who are listening, I know that many of you are, you know, have family responsibilities and so forth. But regardless, saying that this pursuit is worthwhile and I am going to selfishly take this time, um, big blocks of time sometimes, and and have it be for this thing that I want to work on that you can't tell is producing anything useful, <laughs> uh, that takes a lot of confidence in yourself and a commitment to your own worth. And especially in the early stages where you're feeling like maybe what you're producing isn't all that awesome, then it's doubly, triply more difficult. I think that's one reason why um, certain personalities, even people with um, certain kinds of uh, emotional syndromes, mental and emotional syndromes, like if they're atypical and not as um, connected to other people, in some ways it's easier because it's they can take that step back. I think that's where we get the the image of the um, you know sociopathic artist who shuns people and commits only to their art. For those people, they have less of a barrier to isolating themselves from society. So it's interesting that that has been part of this giving coaching and advice is to help people see the ways in which it's okay for them to to draw those boundaries and to say, I am going to go do this thing for myself. And, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's funny because people will respond things to things like, you know, when I give a suggestion, they'll say, oh, well, you know, am, and my wife thinks that, or and my husband, and it's like, no, 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 this doesn't have to do with them. This is not about them. And and I often end up asking, does does your spouse support your writing? And very often the answer will be, well, they're not against it. <laughs> and it's like, okay, you know, well, so the answer is no. <laughs> it's you know, the the absence of outright conflict doesn't make the uh doesn't doesn't turn into support um 
you know, and getting your spouse to be supportive of something like that is difficult. And sometimes the most you can ask for is that they uh, don't actively fight it. But it takes a lot. It really does. And so if any of you out there are aspiring writers or aspiring artists of any kind, and you're trying to, struggling to find that time that you can take to concentrate on the thing, um, then know it, it, it's not easy. It's, and it's easy for us to say that's what you must do. The advice is very simple. But actually executing it is incredibly difficult. So if you are doing that, kudos to you and just know that it's not easy. I am um, giving a workshop for the New England chapter of RWA in February, on February 16th in the afternoon. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes. It's uh, I'll be doing it online. I'll be doing it from here. and But guests can attend the chapter in person for a $5 fee, but I don't think there's any online attendance. But if you are in the greater Boston area, it be, might be worthwhile. But the, I'm going to give a workshop on being a Taoist and approaching the ups and downs of the industry with from a Taoist perspective. So I think that that will be fun and kind of related to that. <clears throat> I um been watching Avenue 5, two episodes of that, and I don't think I'm going to watch any more. <laughs> um, it's just the humor isn't quite working for me, and this is something that's true of a lot of comedies sometimes. It's like when everybody in the show is completely awful. I I just don't enjoy it. It's I um I don't enjoy awful people. I'm not quite sure why that's a thing. I'd be curious to know if anybody is enjoying this show. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I'm I'm already feeling like, you know, two, two half-hour episodes, not even that, they're like 20-some minutes. Uh, you know, and, and they're looking at taking six months to three years to return. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, and we've, we've barely made it through the first couple of days. This is going to be excruciating. I do think, though, that the streaming services have been changing the storytelling format in very interesting ways. I saw an author friend asking if she should watch Witcher because she'd like watch the first three episodes like so many people did and just couldn't get into it and was like, okay, I'm going to bail on this. And I was one who chimed in and said, yes, keep going, keep going, because it really does uh, come around and, and is fantastic by the end. And we're all waiting for season two. And I saw somebody else comment on there saying, well, that's a real failure of storytelling if they fail to capture people by the first three episodes. And certainly I am not going to throw stones because I am one who talks about books not working, even though they've been published and very successful. So 
I, I understand what she's saying. And this is not somebody I know, just some sort of random commenter. But I think clearly the show is not a failure in storytelling because so many people love it. And it's generated so much excitement and memes and it's really struck a chord. Could those first three episodes have done things differently to um, hook us in more? I think so, yes. But I do think that there is something to the Netflix storytelling format that because it's very easy to watch several episodes at once, you know, you might watch, well, like David and I often do, is we will watch either two one-hour episodes of something or a two-hour movie. That's our, our habit for an evening. You know, and sometimes if it's a winter evening and it's cold and dark early and we're both sort of sitting down to relax, then, you know, and it's like still only six o'clock, then maybe we'll go for a longer movie and be like, okay, tonight's a good night to do like a three-hour movie. Woohoo! <laughs> we lead an exciting life, what can I tell you? I'm going to try to come back to that. I'm going a little long today, but um, I I think that we do get like those four episodes to get into it because by then we were definitely wrapped. And I I do think that our expectations of storytelling change over time. David was commenting on that the other day about you know, like noticing that he doesn't have the attention span to sit and listen to music as he did when he was younger. And he was thinking, well, maybe it's an age thing. And it's like, I don't know. I don't think it's age. I think it's us being trained by media to expect things to happen much faster. And, you know, if our attention span is down to, I don't know, whatever the statisticians are saying that it is now, you know, a minute or 30 seconds or whatever. A three-minute song is a long time. But I think, so I think it's good that these shows are kind of changing that up for us and changing around how we feel about um, the, the pace of a story. I think it's interesting to give it that much time to spin its way around because I do think that the Witcher did some interesting things with timeline. And I, I think a lot of it did um, want was an effort to reflect the game and that a lot of us who haven't played it didn't get, but I think it's also good to change up storytelling styles. So I disagree. I don't think it was a failure in storytelling. I think it was a different kind of storytelling. And I think it ultimately worked because the show has been successful, right? And then I wanted to loop back around to, you know, like me joking about us leading a boring life, which I do think it's, you know, outwardly not an interesting life. But in talking to some of these people that I am doing the author coaching with, one thing I notice is that, you know, people who have a very chaotic home life, it makes it that much more difficult. And I don't know, <laughs> frankly, I don't know how some people are able to do it, how, you know, able to sit and concentrate on anything if there's so much going on at home. Uh, I do think that trying to establish a schedule 
and a peaceful routine in your home as much as possible goes a huge long way. Uh, it really does. And I know that's not easy to do, but when some of my writer friends say to me, they'll comment on that I'm able to be so much more productive than they are. And I'll say, yeah, but I have all this quiet, you know, and I have a, a very established routine where people don't require anything of me and I am able to focus. If I didn't have that time to focus, I wouldn't be able to do it either. So something to keep in mind. All right. And with that, I am going to get to work here. Uh, I do not have edits back from Rebecca yet. So for those of you checking in to find out what's going on with uh, the fate of the Tala, it's don't have it yet. So just be quiet. <laughs> no, don't be quiet. Be chill. Be chill. And I am working on a few proposals for Sarah this morning. And then today I'm supposed to get my uh, proofs of the fiery crown and I'm going to proof fiery crown and start writing the promised queen. And then as soon as I get fake edits, I'll slide those in and get them done. So I hope you all have a fabulous Monday. First cup of coffee is part of the frolic podcast network. And you can find more po podcasts that you will love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And I will talk to you all tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye.